listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusoft.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley and joining me this week is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. Fall is in uh, full swing here. I've got a beautiful view outside my window of some falling leaves and it's a great season. I love this time. So doing great. Excellent. Where I am, there is a uh, tree not so far away, which likes to drop leaves upon my shed office. Shed come office, office come shed, whatever you want to call it. And um, you know, I'm sat there right now, and you may hear, if it gets windy outside, things will hit the roof, and they'll it'll sound like they're really loud, but nine times out of ten, they are just dried up leaves. Wow, so you think you're in the middle of a hailstorm or something, yeah, and it's just, yeah. just a few leaves. That's Those are some heavy leaves. They are massive leaves. They're uh, sycamore leaves, so they're, uh, you know, they're the size of a hand. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, as per usual, we have got a collection of uh, tech news that matters. Uh, this is information uh, that's happening in the uh, world of technology that will impact your life. Um, security issues, new features, um, removed features, that sort of thing. Then we've got some tips and tricks and we'll close with some recommendations. Uh, something that myself and Ben have separately enjoyed and that we'll recommend to you um, for your own uh, entertainment and perusal perhaps. It's entirely optional. We'll kick off with news that Microsoft Office is finally changing its name. Now, this has been kind of on the cards for a long time. Microsoft is renaming Microsoft Office to Microsoft 365 to bring it under its umbrella of productivity apps. To be honest with you, I thought they'd already done this, Ben. Yeah, I, I guess it's one of those things where it was sort of a soft change, you know, like where they did it, but it wasn't like an official announcement because it was Office 365. And I remember writing a couple of years ago about how they changed it to Microsoft 365, which was just the same thing, but with a new name, but then they have kind of expanded it. So it does seem like it's more of an official codifying of something they'd been doing already, right? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a bunch of things in there, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, all the other bits and bulbs that are attached to it now. Um, uh, you know, you've got the uh, we've got the Teams as well, that comes under it. So, I mean, it makes sense, but I don't know. I always felt Microsoft Office is a very strong brand name. And to kill it, it turns into something like Microsoft 365, which is kind of, it's a bit of a sort of all-encompassing blobby name, isn't it? It really doesn't mean anything. Uh, I agree. Uh, office is a huge, like people, to the point where people use it generically, like when you say office, you mean an office suite, which means Word and Excel and all that. Like it's just the, the standard. Um, 365 kind of sounds because it's Microsoft and they have so many products, it's kind of confusing, I guess. But 365 to me almost sounds like something where it's like an all-in subscription. Like I'm trying to think of what they call it, Xbox All Access, I think. Right. I mean, I think that's what that's called. Yeah, so Xbox All Access is a program where you pay, like over the course of 24 months, you pay like 30 or 35 bucks a month and you get an Xbox console and Game Pass. So it's like a complete package. That's what it kind of makes me think of. But with Microsoft, obviously, it's not like they're paying for, you're not paying for a subscription for Windows yet, fortunately. So it is kind of an odd name change, I think, because most people won't see Office anymore, and that's what they know it as. Yeah. But obviously, they'll say Excel and Word and uh, all those other component pieces to it. Um, but, 
They described it as more apps in fewer places. The new office brings together your favorite Microsoft apps all in one intuitive platform. I mean, obviously, there's some uh, sort of second sighting there from Microsoft, seeing, um, you know, claiming that they know what my favorite Microsoft apps are. But uh, um, OneDrive also comes under it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be useful for some people. It's going to. It, the same thing happens for the home version as it happens for the organizational version. That happens for the education, student and teacher version as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's um, dropping the name office. It does seem strange. We'll move on. Android has been found to be leaking data even with a VPN activated. And this is a little bit concerning because um, VP VPNs leaking is a... It's something that a lot of VPNs suffered from some years ago, and there was a big kind of uh, hoo-ha about it at the time, reasonably so, because a VPN is supposed to be private, and that it's leaking data means that inf not all data is going through the VPN, um, and then, you know, it's possibly uh, identifiable and use a VPN for privacy. It's in the name, Virtual Private Network. Mulvad VPN discovered that Android leaks traffic when performing its connectivity check, and neither VPN services nor you can prevent it that's kind of bad because it basically breaks user anonymity and in parts of the world where anonymity is important this could in in theory put people's lives at risk it's kind of concerning and it does seem i know this is cynical but it does seem to be an intentional feature and not a bug it is odd. I, I assume this happens no matter what VPN you use. Like if, if you're using apparently an app so, like most yeah. people do. Okay, not like going into the Android menu and typing in your credentials and all that into the VPN menu. Yeah, I mean that's you would have to think this is the kind of thing. I mean that Google's not going to overlook that easily. Like it seems like kind of an obvious, not obvious, but you know, like you, you know what people use VPNs for. So let's make sure that we're not sharing that data everywhere. Yeah. And VPNs have been supported in Android forever. Like you said, it's not like this is the first version that supported them to where there would be bugs and things like that. So definitely an odd one. Yeah. Um, Mulvad's VPN's post on these traffic leaks has um, highlighted the issue. Google hasn't done anything yet. We can only imagine that they will at some point. Now, of course, this is something that only affects... No, it doesn't only affect mobile. But if you have a VPN on your router then and you're connecting over wi-fi then it's the leak isn't going to affect you because the leak's going to go through the vpn connection on the router but if you, particularly if you're using mobile internet with a vpn and if you're using a router that doesn't have a vpn on it then it's going to affect you there as well and um, a bit more vpn and android news here and maybe these two things are related maybe this is something we'll be coming back to in m months to come. You will be able to use the Pixel 7's free VPN for five years. Google VPN is coming free to the Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro, which is likely to uh, outlast the phone itself in many cases. Uh, a VPN will help you hide your identity and location from websites and services that you visit, if you hadn't gathered that already. By including the VPN, which is a paid component of Google One usually, into the Pixel 7 devices, uh, it's a it's a nice kind of I mean it's 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 balmy really, isn't it? Because it's basically you know, we've got this great new privacy feature for you to use. Will it work it though? Work. That's the question. <laughs> I, 
I do, I do think that the issue we just talked about aside, I do think this is a pretty nice benefit. Um, I used to get Pixel phones myself, and those little those little uh, benefits you got, like, well, it was unlimited high, uh, full quality storage on Google Photos before they yeah. axed that. Um, I mean, this is nice. You know, ten dollars a month for if, if you were normally paying for a two terabyte plan for Google One. As we know, most VPNs are. I mean, it depends on which one you get. Some of them are fifty bucks a year. Some of them are one hundred twenty dollars a year. But I mean, that's a nice extra bonus. The question is whether you trust Google's VPN as much as some of these other companies. And with things like this, that reduces the trust for sure. Definitely. Um, that is the second tier of Google One. So if you pay, if you're on the first paid tier of Google One, you won't get the VPN. It starts with the second paid tier. I had a, um, a Pixel tablet some years ago, which I was doing. Uh, I received for a review. I was gutted I couldn't get to keep it. It was the best tablet I'd used up to that point. Was that the Pixel? Oh, I'm thinking of the Nexus, the Nexus line, because I was thinking about getting one of the Nexus tablets before they discontinued those lines. But it was, as I, as we've talked about before, I've like never found a good use for a tablet ever. So I was going to get one, and then I talked myself out of it because I thought uh. just not going to not going to find a use for this. Well, my, the exercise bike I got a few months ago has a um, perfect the sized tablet mount on it. So sometimes when uh, when we've had meetings, I've been on my exercise bike. Oh, I don't think I've ever noticed that. Ah, uh, no, you won't have done. You know when I've got the camera off a lot? I'm on my exercise oh, bike. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, <laughs> fancy. That's some good multitasking. <laughs> yeah, you can get a lot of Asana stuff done on that. And also I use it for reading. There's the Readly app, which is, you know, as many magazines as you can handle for seven ninety nine a month. Um, the, what else do I do with it? I just read uh, Kindle as well, mainly. Mainly, I do use it for reading, though, which is a surprise, really, because it's uh, it's a Samsung Galaxy S4. You know, we've talked about this tablet many times in the past on this podcast because it had a fault that uh, went on for some some weeks, and uh, I probably haven't used it to its. Ma- I think that's the problem with a lot of people with tablets. Really, you don't get to use them to their full benefit. That you know, the full breadth of their specification, do you? Yeah, that's actually an issue where um, at, recently at my at my church they started the the band started using tablets instead of paper music, and so one yeah. of my friends was like, "Hey, I want to get an iPad for this," but I was telling her like, "Like you don't, I don't want to recommend that you get one that's super old and never gets updates anymore, but you also don't need the latest and greatest one." So like for an iPad, that's kind of a hard sell because it's either you know, the ones that are a hundred dollars or ancient models on Facebook Marketplace, and then the brand new ones are more expensive so it is kind of a tough market i think like most people that want one aren't using everything they can use for it so yeah my friend's church started using uh, well i don't know when they started doing it but we visited for a uh, a christening or a dedication they were using ipads i was absolutely stunned because i you know it obviously has its uses but you know what if the battery runs out what if the data goes off yeah they are definitely suspect to yeah yeah the music is gone. You're going to have to uh, improvise there. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, this is where we press this button, isn't it? Ben, what did you do at the weekend? Oh, well, this past weekend, I actually went camping with my family, as I mentioned, with the fall weather. Ah. Uh, it was a nice time. We were away from Monday was Columbus Day, so we were away from Sunday to Monday. And yeah, it was nice. We had perfect weather and had a nice time. Yeah. We used to well, go camping years ago when I was a kid and a teenager. We went camping yeah. with a tent, um, which is fun, but comes with its own issues. Um, so we've been the last year and this year, we went to a state park with a cabin 
area. So it's really nice to have the cabin because you can enjoy a fire at night and cook food that way. But then you you know have a fridge and beds inside. So it's a nice time. Oh, sounds nice. Sounds nice. Um, I was messing around with a raspberry pie at the weekend. <laughs> and I, why, do you know what I did? I, inst- I turned my raspberry pie one, I'm not sure which model it was now. It was a Raspberry Pi 4. I turned a Raspberry Pi 4 into a tiny DOS gaming PC. Okay. Which is... Sounds fancy. It's kind of cool. Basically, what happened is a few months ago, I stumbled across this thing called the Wii C, okay, which is a device that uses something called a Vortex 86 system on chip, which has an, eight, uh, an x86 architecture. And that is combined with a custom designed board they're difficult to get hold of basically uh it also needs a specific case with it as well now the custom board gives you um an sd card it gives you the old style um pc game controller and a ps2 keyboard slash mouse input you can with with that you get an authentic classic pc ms dos environment because it's that is essentially what that system is it's it's a pc on a chip almost you know, a 90s or 80s or 90s IBM compatible PC on a chip. Now, I don't have the money to get hold of one of those. And I'm not the best solderer in the world either, so I would need it assembling. But there's this project called Dosbian. There's a thing called um, DOSBox, which uh, I'm sure you've heard of, Ben, which is a uh, DOS emulator for Windows. It's available for Linux, available for Android. You can get it on pretty much anything. Now, what a gentleman called uh, Carmelo Maiolino has done is combine uh, DOSBox with uh, the Debian operating system, Linux-based operating system. So basically, it's minimal Debian, and you install it, and it boots up directly into a version of DOSBox. He's called it DOSBian, but it basically means that you can turn your Raspberry Pi into like a tiny DOS PC. So you can play all these classic games. So that's what I did. (laughs) That's what I was doing. And was was it a good time? It was, was fun. It, yeah. Okay. It's um. It has some things installed, pre-installed. I got to play uh, Doom and Wolfenstein 3D without uh, before I even got to install any of the other stuff. Yeah, it's nice when they have stuff pre-installed. It harkens back to I, I'm I'm a sucker for like pack-in games with systems. Makes me happy. So yeah, it's it, um that's like a nice. Well, I guess it's not really a blast from the past because systems still do that sometimes, but. Makes me happy. I think the most important thing about this is, I mean, that, the fact that it included games isn't unusual with um, any project that attempts to relive a classic classic gaming uh, environment. You know, the um, Recal Box, RetroPie, all those things, um, Lacquer, Batosera, they all have games pre-installed. Tip, often it's Doom. But what I noticed about this, Dosbian, is that it was so easy to do. I was seriously... It, I mean, it took about 10 minutes at the most from the point where I put the SD card in my PC and started downloading the image to the point where I was booting it up and into this DOS environment. And, you know, there's a hell of a lot of great games from the old days. You know, they're not to the same graphical standard as nowadays. Strategy games in particular, uh, I think, have uh, stood the test of time more than some FPSs. But then again, I mean, who doesn't want to play Doom? Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at the guide here, and it does seem pretty straightforward, even though I haven't really had too much experience with this. It looks faster than when I got a Raspberry Pi years ago. The only thing I really set it up for was as like a Super Nintendo emulator. 
So okay. I put a bunch of, of ROMs I had on it, and it, I think that took me longer than this guide seems to be, but that was also because I'm new to it, so I'm sure it'd be faster if I w- was more experienced. So that's what I did at the weekend, anyway. We um, Anyone can do this. It's free to do. So if you've got a Raspberry Pi, I'm pretty sure there is a version of this which will run on pretty much any Raspberry Pi. It will run on the Raspberry Pi 1, Raspberry Pi 0, the Raspberry Pi 2B, the Raspberry Pi 3B, 3B+, the 3A+, the 4B, and the Raspberry Pi 400. So pretty much any Raspberry Pi that you can get your hands on, you can run Dospian on it. Okay, Ben... Moving away from the days of MS-DOS to the days of uh, Microsoft Windows. Uh, One of the key elements of the Windows operating system is something that you either touch or you stay away from. And if you stay away from it, it means you're the sort of person who shouldn't touch the Windows registry. But if there's a reason to touch the Windows registry, uh, you should back it up first, shouldn't you? That's right. So if you're not familiar, the registry is basically a database of all the information about your computer that makes it run. So it's information about uh, programs you have installed, information about how Windows runs certain processes. It's just kind of a very important database of all that stuff. Um, So some of our articles that we've written guides on uh, require you to make changes to the registry because there are certain things you can tweak in Windows that you can't change in like a settings menu, but they are available if you adjust these values. So Uh, We always warn that before you make changes to the registry, you should uh, be be really careful because if you change the wrong thing, you could corrupt your system or just, you know, cause minor problems. But at worst, you could screw the whole thing up. Um, But you can actually back up the registry and it's not hard to do. Uh, So the basics of it are you open up the registry editor, the same one that you use to make the actual changes. And then you can click on any key, which are the names or the folder, which are the names of the directories in the registry. Uh, And if you click on one of them and then you right click and hit export, you can save it as a .reg file, um, giving it a clear name so you remember what it was for. Uh, And then later on, you can either double click on that file or uh, open up the registry editor again and go to file import and then just select the file that you had exported and it will merge it back into your registry. Um, so you can do this to export your entire registry if you use the, the, the computer key, which is the highest level, or you can go down into just a specific folder so that if you make changes and something doesn't work, you can restore it. So uh, when I did this for this article, I backed up the entire registry and it was about 460 megabytes. So not tiny, but not, you know, massive massive to where you can't keep a a copy backed up so yeah that's a good thing to do um before you make a change to the registry just so you have a way to restore it if something goes horribly wrong how long did it take um i don't think it was super long Um, a minute or two it was i forget exactly but it it was negligible and how does that compare with creating a restore point then so a restore point is sort of the same thing in effect. Um, a restore point, Windows makes these automatically when you uh, install or remove software, when you install a major update, things like that, or you can make one yourself. And the point of a restore point is that you can go back to the past, basically. It'll it'll put Windows back to the way it was when you load the restore point. It doesn't touch your files, so it's only for system stuff. Um, so a restore point is good it's also good to make before you edit the registry or before maybe you install a piece of software that you're not sure if it's okay or you're going to install some deep tweak on your system and it might mess things up. Um, 
I would say back the registry up if you're going to specifically make changes to a certain part of it. And system restore is kind of a more general safety measure that's just good to have so you can step back if you need to. Yeah, so it's a recommendation section in which uh, Ben and myself will offer our thoughts on uh, something that we've experienced and enjoyed of late. Now, I'm going to go first, Ben. Uh, do. I, I do tend to let you go first and I've got a couple of things to say firstly if you're not watching House of the Dragon the Game of Thrones prequel series yet there is still time to do so and you, it's getting towards the end of the series I know someone who uh, I've convinced to watch it has decided that they are going to watch it but only when it's finished so they can watch it all in one go I, re- I would recommend that actually because it does jump around a little bit in uh, time however that isn't my recommendation my recommendation this time is uh, a collection of games called the Turrican Anthology Volume 1 and Volume 2, which I was uh, allowed to review for free, uh, thanks to uh, Inning Games and Factor 5, um, and their uh, PR company, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, for my website, uh, gamingretro.co.uk. Um, Turrican is a game more popular in Europe than anywhere else, and uh, it's designed by uh, German developers, Factor 5. It has music by Chris Hulsbeck, a German composer. And it's basically it's an arcade-style shooter. There are several versions of the game. There's the original Turrican, then there's Turrican 2. There's, they're both on the Amiga. Then there's Super Turrican on the SNES, and then there's Turrican 3 on the Amiga, and Mega Turrican, which I think are the same game, on the Genesis and Mega Drive. And then there's Super Turrican 2, which also may be Turrican 3. I can't remember which one's which, on the uh, SNES. And... Uh, yeah, they are great sides, well, not just side-scrolling, uh, sort of scrolling in every direction, um, platform shooters, and a wealth of cool weapons and uh, interesting monsters to deal with. I s- spent a lot of time playing Turrican as a child, so to be able to uh, get hold of the game on the Switch uh, meant uh, reliving a lot of uh, wasted hours on my Commodore Amiga. Interesting thing about Turrican, is it actually, as, as well as being an Amiga release back in uh, 1989 or 90, it also came out on the Commodore 64. And that release, um, the Commodore 64 is an 8-bit system, Ben, whereas the Amiga was a 16-bit. Um, but the graphics on the Commodore 64 were had never been, anything had never been seen like that on the C64 before. What they had done, they had changed the built-in um, uh, colour palette so there's 16 colours built into the Commodore 64, and the developers had found a way to change the the palette uh, between levels. And um, so the, it made it seem very, very uh, appealing. Now, the C64 version isn't included on the uh, Turrican Anthology Volume 1 or Volume 2, but uh, all those other versions I mentioned are. I spent a lot of time messing around with this over the past few days, weeks. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I haven't. I think you've talked about this game or this series before. I haven't played it, but looking at the screenshots, I kind of reminds me of like Contra or Metal Slug. That's the kind yeah. of vibe I get, like that kind of run and gun. I'm a sucker for 16-bit graphics, so I love like Super Nintendo or Game Boy Advance graphics. So this looks, I don't know if I would enjoy the gameplay, depending on how tough it is, but it does look like it's a, a fun time. Well, I may have mentioned it before because there was a different version of the, a different collection came out called uh, Turrican Flashback, which was basically Turrican, Turrican Two on the Amiga, Super Turrican, and Mega Turrican, if memory serves me correctly. Um, that was from the same uh, team up of uh, 
publishers. Um, the, the the thing with this one is it's got a load of extras built into it. I'm probably never going to find them, but I am going to probably going to give it a go eventually. But I'm just going to uh, I'm just starting it up now. There's a, you've got a standard blaster. You have a sort of a laser weapon. That's that noise there. There's all sorts of creatures. There's another sort of uh, laser weapon that sort of blasts out from from the character. That's the sound of the lightning weapon there. And there's sort of power-ups hidden all over the place. Because I've been playing this game for like 32 years, um, I know where a lot of them are. Um, so that was the sound of me picking them up. That was me getting a one-up there. And the other thing you can do with this, you can fire grenades. You can also, it's got this very odd power, which doesn't appear in later games. It can turn into a gyroscope. Uh, so it basically oh. turns into an indestructible wheel um, that can just like plow through enemies. The problem with that is as um, nice as it is to have, if you, um, you know, go down, if you go anywhere near water, basically you've had it because you're, uh, you're not coming out of that. But uh, I'll just save that state. But yeah, it's it's got to be my favorite shooter of all time, really. The thing now that this this is marked as an anthology pack, I'm looking at the Switch, the eShop listing, and I I love when re-releases of games do this. Like it says there, you can let's see, oh, there's different soundtracks to choose from: the original, remastered, or emulated. Yeah. Um, you can change the controls to the different systems it was on. There's a jukebox, concept art, manuals. Like I I love stuff like that. One yeah. of my first compilation experiences as a kid was uh, Sonic Mega Collection on GameCube, which was the okay. first time I played like any Sonic game. And that is like the gold standard, in my opinion, for a compilation. It didn't yeah. have save states, which back then wasn't as big of a thing, but um, it had like same thing, manual scans. You could flip to the manual for every game. It had unlockable games. It had um, clips from like the Sonic cartoon show. It had promos for then upcoming games. Like I, I love when a compilation has all like, it's just like a celebration of the game's history yeah, instead yeah. of just like a bare bones rom port well what this has as well it um like many uh retro games that have been brought to the switch it has the rewind option and the save state option but you can also play it without the rewind option and if you do that then you get to unlock if you complete it with without the sort of cheats enabled you can then unlock various features and uh, see, yeah i like that yeah it, it's cool it, it gives hardcore players something to shoot for but newcomers Absolutely. have it easier if they want to experience it for the first time totally so what have you got this week yeah so speaking of newcomers um i don't know if i've talked about it too much on the show before i'm a big fan of overwatch which first came out in may of 2016 officially and uh, overwatch 2 has just come out um in october of 2022 so my recommendation for the week is Overwatch 2. Um, lots to say about the game. I'll try to keep it brief. But if you haven't played Overwatch, um, basically it's a hero shooter. So it's a first-person game, but it's not really a first-person shooter in the sense of like Battlefield or Call of Duty. Uh, it's more of a team-based action game. Um, so it all revolves around objectives, not just getting kills. Um, and there, every character in Overwatch is really is totally unique. So you might have one character who is like a DJ who plays a song who can either heal his allies or uh, boost their speed um, you might have one tank that just has a giant shield to protect his allies and then another tank who can put a bubble on herself or her allies to absorb their damage which then powers up her weapon so even your their three main classes are tank damage and support but even in those classes no two characters are alike so um, overwatch 2 is basically sort of a 
it's a big update to Overwatch 1, so the gameplay mm-hmm. is still largely the same. Um, they made some tweaks to the flow, introduced a few new characters and maps, but Overwatch 2 is now free to play, um, which there's some stuff about the monetization I don't love, but that's a separate discussion. But it's free to play now, and it's on all systems, and uh, Switch, Xbox, PC, PlayStation, So and it's, and it's cross-platform. You can play with friends on other devices, and it's also cross-progression, so uh, if you rank up on one system, all that everything you unlock is now across systems. So uh, it's a lot to get into. Um, they have improved the new player experience. So there's certain heroes you can't play at first just because they're more technically demanding. So uh, it's it's a good time to get into the, the game with the release of the new uh, game and some of those features. But yeah, if you like the idea of a cooperative team game where every character is just totally unique and there's a lot to learn, um, it's a really great time. The, the voice acting is amazing. There's a lot of good interactions between the characters and there's a lot of skill uh, ceilings to hit if you want to, you know, really dive into a certain character. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Overwatch. I'm happy to have the sequel here and I definitely recommend it since it's free now. You'll find a link to that and everything else we've discussed in this week's really useful podcast in the show notes. We'll be back soon for another show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. (laughs) 